know that's your favorite part of that theme song, isn't it? <laughs> the grunt at the end. Well, welcome to week one of Home Improvement. Um, we're over the next few weeks going to be talking about what it means um, to improve our families and to help grow faith at home. Now, this uh, logo screen title slide is orange, um, not because that's the color of Home Depot, but because we're a church that strives to be orange. We want to be an orange church. Now, you might be thinking, what in the world is an orange church? Well, orange churches think about faith and spiritual uh, development differently. Because you see, if you come to church every Sunday, if you came to Pittman Park every Sunday for the 1105 service every week, if you were faithful and you got here every single Sunday of the year, you would experience how many hours of worship? 52, right? Maybe 53, certainly 52. You'd experience 52 Sundays of worship a year, which actually translates to 51 hours per year which actually slices down to what? About two days and some change of worship. What we found is that if the only place you're getting fed as a follower of Jesus Christ, the only place your family is getting fed is at church Sunday to Sunday during worship, you are missing out then that is not an effective way to grow faith. It's a great place to start, but it's not an effective way to grow faith over the long term. So the reason we're an orange church is because the light of the church is yellow and the light of the family is red, and we want to blend those two things. When you mix yellow and red, you get orange. We want to glow orange. We want faith development to be something that happens at home and outside of the worship experience week to week. This is why we have small groups. This is why we have youth groups. This is why... We have opportunities to worship, study, and serve outside of Sunday morning because it's important that you have an ongoing relationship not only with the church but with Christ in your family life. Now, some of you might be thinking, whoa, 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 I love church, but I don't know about spending any more time doing this stuff. That's okay. If that's where you are, that's okay because you're invited. You are invited um, throughout this series Um, And you're invited essentially weekly to do something different. And I want to encourage you to think differently over the course of this series about your approach to growing yourself and growing your family to maturity in Christ. I've got a question for you. Um, What are the two things you can do when it comes to home improvement? There's two things that you can do to improve your home. Do you know what they are? You can redecorate, right? You can redecorate. Or you can renovate, all right? You can redecorate or you can renovate. I want to invite you, take your bulletin this morning. Um, it's yellow on the fr- or orange on the front and it says um, home improvement on it and there's some space underneath it. I want you to write in that space underneath it, renovating versus redecorating. Renovating versus redecorating. See, a lot of times um, we go into a home improvement project and we think we're going to improve this house. You know what we're going to do? We're going to put some new paint on the walls. We're going to move the furniture around so that you don't have to go around the sofa to get into the kitchen. We're going to do some new things with the drapes. That's all redecorating, right? 
You might put new paint on the wall. You might hang some new drapes. You might move the furniture around inside of the house. You might put something someplace different. But the truth is, your house really is the same. Nothing really changed. The color schemes might have changed. The floor layout may have changed. But your house hasn't fundamentally shifted, hasn't fundamentally altered. Renovating is a whole different deal. Do you know what you do whenever you renovate? Whenever you renovate, you don't look at the wall and think, that would look great if it were mint green. You look at the wall and you think, I don't want that thing to be there anymore. And by the way, if you paint your wall mint green, God bless you. (laughs) I don't know. It's not my favorite color. Reminds me of Dennis's office. Anyways. Whenever you renovate, you do more than just put paint on the wall and shuffle the furniture around the house. Whenever you renovate, you knock down the wall, you expand the kitchen, you redo the floor plan of the house. Renovation is fundamentally different than redecorating. When it comes to our faith, a lot of us, we like to redecorate things, right? We like to sort of put some new paint on the walls of our faith. We like to shuffle things around our house And say, look, it's all different, it's all new, and it's all fun, but nothing has really changed. What most of our families need, what most of us need, is not another opportunity to redecorate our spiritual life. What we need is the opportunity to renovate, to renovate, to fundamentally alter the way we approach our relationship with God the way we, are, we approach our relationship with one another. This series, my prayer for it is that it will stretch you to do more than put some more paint on the walls in your faith. But it will stretch you to renovate your heart and to renovate your life. Last week, we wrapped up our sermon series, Earn, Save, Give, and we talked about how commitment matters, how your commitment, the commitments that you make, make a difference in your own life, how they make a difference in your work, how they make a difference in your family, and even, excuse me, in the life of the church. And the text we looked at last week was Joshua 24, 14, and 15. Now that text um, is a very specific text in the gospel of Joshua. The reason is, is that is part of Joshua's farewell address. Joshua is getting ready to say goodbye to the people of Israel uh, because he is going to die. And Joshua knows this. He knows this is the end of the road for him, that his life is ending. And so he gathers all the children of Israel together and he has this last speech to them. And he talks to them about who it is they will serve. Because Joshua knows that commitment matters. And that's how you heard the sermon preached last week, that commitment matters. But I want you to hear this text from Joshua 24 a little bit differently this morning. Listen again to Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Joshua speaks out to these people that are gathered in front of him. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Did you catch 
what Joshua said at the end of verse 15. Joshua said, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now you're looking at me this morning like that is unremarkable. (laughs) That's actually a pretty remarkable statement. Joshua is making a pronouncement for his family. He's standing up in front of this entire nation of people and he's saying to them, listen, I don't know who it is that you want to serve or who it is that you're going to decide to serve. I don't know what it is that you want to worship or what it is that you want to chase in this life. I don't know what it is that you're going to be running after from here to eternity, but me and my family, me and my kids and their kids and their kids, we are going to be a people. We are going to be a household that serves the Lord. We are making a decision today. We are making a commitment today that we are going to serve the Lord. If you're in the clan of Joshua, (laughs) if you're in this tribe, we are going to serve the Lord. Parents, you need to hear this this morning. You need to hear this. Joshua says to the people of Israel, you might decide to serve someone else. But in this house, we will serve the Lord. Parents, you may not know this. I hope you do. But you need to know the truth that Joshua is speaking here, this timeless truth that Joshua is speaking. What he's actually saying comes out like this. When it comes to matters of faith, or at least what I want you to glean from this, is that when it comes to matters of faith in your family, no one has more influence than you. Joshua speaks for his entire family. Joshua says, as for me and my household, as for me and my kids and their kids and their kids, we are going to be a family that serves the Lord. We as a unit and by golly, with all of my power and with all of my influence, with all of my authority, I am going to make sure that my family serves the Lord. When it comes to matters of faith, parents, you have more influence over your family, over your children and their decisions than anyone else. You are the one who sets the stage for their spiritual growth and their spiritual development. Spiritual development. If you are a grandparent, if you are a grandparent, you still have leverage over your children and your grandchildren. And I don't mean the kind of leverage that pries them into doing things and pushes them into doing things um, that they might not feel comfortable with, but you have the opportunity to so influence their life that they too will be committed to the God that you serve. Now, I'm not saying that your house needs to become some sort of authoritarian dictatorship where you sit at the top of the power and you dictate what everyone in the household thinks and everyone in the household feels. But what I am saying is that sometimes the best thing that you can do for your family, the best thing that you can do as a parent, the best thing that I can do as a parent, and Stephanie and I together can do as parents, is make a decision for our children. Make a decision for our children. My parents decided when my brother and I came along that they were going to get us into places, into a church where we could experience the love of God and the grace of God, whether we wanted to or not. 
And do you know what happened? Because of their commitment, because they made sure that we were in a place where week after week, month after month, year after year, we could experience the love and grace of God, my brother and I became followers of Jesus Christ. Now, my parents, they didn't teach a whole lot of Sunday school class. In fact, my parents had their own Sunday school class. They were like the young adult Sunday school class, um, like we have here, like the Rediscover class. They were uh, a class that loved to do their own thing and have their kids doing their own thing down the hallway. But they made sure, they made sure that every Sunday, or as often as we could be at church, that we were in church experiencing the love and the grace of God, experiencing the community of faith, experiencing, experiencing, experiencing what it means to be one body in Christ, serving with them, working with them, studying with them. Parents, you have incredible influence. The decisions you make for your family, for your children, can help them become maturing followers of Jesus Christ. They can help you develop faith in your family. And you don't even have to be the one that teaches the Bible study. You just have to get your kids there. You just have to get them in that right place. One of the best things you can do, one of the best ways you can leverage your influence as a parent is by making some decisions for your kids. Kids that are in here, I'm sorry. (laughs) But you don't get to decide everything. You get a lot of freedom. You get a lot of choice. But your parents are making decisions that will help you, will help you become mature followers of Jesus Christ and productive citizens in this world. The problem is all too often, parents, we give up our influence. We give up our power. We give up our authority. We give up our ability to speak into the lives of our children by the way we live our life, by by the way we allow others to make decisions for us, by the way we abdicate our power and authority to others. We give up our powers. The best thing you can do for your family is to make a decision, is to make a decision about the type of family that you're going to be. And then begin working a plan working a plan that will help you become that sort of family. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to spend the next few minutes um, giving you seven practical ways that you can begin renovating, not just redecorating, but renovating your family from the inside out, tearing down walls, opening up space, not just putting new paint and shuffling the furnitures, but renovating. So here are seven things you can do to begin building a strong family. The first is F. Faith in Christ. Parents, your decision, your decision for Jesus Christ will make a difference in the lives of your children. The way you live out your faith will directly impact the way they understand their faith. Your commitment to Christ will influence their commitment to Christ. This means doing more than just going to church. This means studying the word together reading scripture together, praying together. Even if it's just prayers before bed or prayers around the dinner table, the way you experience and share your faith with your children will absolutely make a difference in their lives. But it begins with you. It begins with your commitment to Christ. It begins with you committing yourself to Jesus Christ. 
to his mission and ministry in this world, giving your whole self over to him. Because living your faith at home, living your faith in Christ at home is where it starts. The second thing you can do for your children is you can ask and you can offer forgiveness. How many of you in this room are perfect parents? Okay, good, no hands. How many of you in this room had perfect parents? I did, I'm afraid they might. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) We all had imperfect parents, and we are all imperfect parents. And that means that sometimes we need to ask forgiveness of one another. Sometimes I need to ask Addie, my five-year-old, for forgiveness. For my tone, that's usually what it is. Ask her for forgiveness for the way I respond to the things that she says or the things that she does. Because sometimes I just fly off the handle. (laughs) Not in a bad way, but in a way that makes her sometimes cry. And I don't want to be the reactionary dad. And so I've learned that there are times when I have to go to her and ask forgiveness and say, Addie, I'm sorry for the way I said that to you. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Now, I do that because I need to ask for forgiveness, but I also do that because I know that one of the most vital things I can do for her is establish that pattern in her life where when I do something wrong, I come to her for, for, to ask her forgiveness so that when later on she makes a mistake or she messes up or she does something that she thinks is going to be the end of the earth, she knows that in our house we practice forgiveness. We practice asking one another for grace and for mercy, for a do-over, for a chance to start again. This is something I want in my household. I hope it's something that you want in yours. This ability for for our kids to come and say, Dad, I'm sorry, I messed up. Mom, I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing. Isn't that what you want from your spouse if, if you're married? You want the ability for your spouse to come to you and say, hey, I'm sorry. The only way you get that is by doing it for yourself first by saying hey you know what I messed up back there I messed up the budget this month can you forgive me for buying that can you forgive me for doing that we have to ask for forgiveness and we have to begin the the process of offering forgiveness we don't have to pretend like we're above the law as parents like we've got it all figured out because the truth is none of us do None of us do. We are all, at best, imperfect parents. Whenever we ask and offer forgiveness, we embody what Jesus teaches about forgiveness, and we embody the grace of God to our children. And that is a beautiful, beautiful image. M, the M in family, stands for make and keep commitments. Make and keep commitments. Um, I don't know about you, but I came from a weird family um, where, where we had to be on time everywhere. Do any of you live in that kind of a family? I, I come from that kind of a family, and it's okay if you do. We'll, we'll do some therapy together. But the way this all worked out in my life, my parents were always on time everywhere we went, and if, if, if at all possible, we would always be early. Here's how this works out in my life. Um, I have to take trips to Macon often. Usually twice a month I have to make a trip to Macon. Well, I'm so paranoid about being late that I leave the house for my 10 o'clock meetings in Macon at like 6.45 in the morning because I am scared to death. 
that something will keep me from getting to where I'm supposed to be on time. That's a pattern that my family established. Um, and it has less to do with about being on time and more to do with the commitments that we make. My parents were big on commitment. If we made a commitment, we were going to be there. This worked out when I was five years old playing football. Now, when I was five years old, and you, can, you might can imagine this. I don't know if you can. Um, I was tiny. In fact, I was so tiny that whenever they dressed me out for football as a five-year-old, we played full pads, contact football at five years old. It was a different world in 1986. Um, <laughs> I was so little. My parents, they had to duct tape the waist of my pants on, and they had to duct tape my knee pads so my pants didn't fall down from here. And my, I mean, I looked, I looked this wide, you know, and this tall with my, <laughs> with my uniform on. It was sort of absurd having this, you know, this, this five-year-old run around the field. Anyways, 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 during the first game, I got hit, right, by another five-year-old, which I'm sure was just a massive collision. And that guy stepped on my hand. Do you know what happens when you're five years old and somebody in cleats steps on your hand? You lose your mind, right? You are broken forever. You are wounded. <laughs> I see this in my daughter, right? You are wounded and you want to quit. I wanted to quit. I didn't like getting hit. First game of the season, ever playing football. My parents said, Jonathan, you can't quit. But I want to quit. I've got, no, 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 no. You made a commitment to that team. And that means you're going to play football from now until the end of the season. Now, next season, you don't have to play football. If you want to go play squash, if you, if you want to dig a garden, if you want to go ride a bicycle, you can do all of those things. But you made a commitment, and you're going to stick to your commitments because commitments matter. Now, as parents, we say that to our kids all the time, Right? The problem is we don't demonstrate that to our kids because we say to our children, you know, I'm going to be at the game tonight. And then what happens? You get busy at work and you don't make the game. And the commitment you made to them gets put on the back burner. You say, hey, we're going to get to eat dinner around the table tonight. Isn't that awesome? We're going to have a family meal and then we're going to play games. And then guess what happens? Something else jumps up in the way and, and you put that commitment on the back burner. You've got to make commitments as a parent to your children and to your family. But more than just making commitment after commitment after commitment after commitment and forgetting them, you've got to keep those commitments. Because whenever you keep commitments, do you know what you're demonstrating? You're de demonstrating your reliability so that whenever you say, God is our heavenly father, your kids go, oh, my dad's reliable. God's like a loving parent. Oh, my mom, she keeps her commitments to me. Whenever you make and keep commitments as a parent, you as a grandparent, as an aunt, as a godparent, you are directly influencing the way your kids understand who God is later on in their life. As, as parents, we have got to make commitments to our children. We've got to eliminate distractions from our families. Sometimes the best thing we can do is to cut our phone off and sit down at dinner and have a conversation with our kids. 
And I don't care if dinner's at Chili's or Wendy's or it's around your kitchen table. One of the best things we can do is to eliminate distractions. And if this thing is a distraction, throw it away. At least for the time you're with your kids because your commitments matter. The I has to do directly with making and keeping commitments. It's invest in your family. Do you know there's only one resource you can't make any more of and you can't acquire any more of? Do you know what that is? It's time. You can't make any more time. The greatest thing that you can invest in your family is your time. You can make more money. You can become the next big thing. But none of those things, none of those things are as important to your family as your investment of time. Because when you invest time, you show your children how important and how special they are. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, um, he had tons of brothers and sisters. I want to say all total, um, there, were, there were like 24 children at one point. That's a lot of brothers and sisters. His mom carved out one hour a week to meet with each child in the family. One hour a week so that they could have un, their, her undivided attention. Do you know what influence meant, made the most difference in John Wesley's wife, life? Excuse me. <clears throat> it was his mom. It was his mom. The whole Methodist movement is founded out of the influence of Wesley's mom. Isn't that incredible? One hour in a week with a child can make all the difference in the world. What are you investing your time in? Is it your family? Is it your hobby? Is it your work? What's well, going to make the biggest difference? in your family's relationship with God. Your investment in work, your hobby, your friends, or your children. The L stands for listen to each other. So invest in each other and then listen to each other. When I talk uh, with, with uh, couples about premarital counseling, one of the things we talk about is communication. And communication is not just hearing. During football season, um, my wife talks in the kitchen behind me as I sit on the couch and watch TV. Do you know this scenario? Um, she's talking, and I'm hearing. I know she's saying something, but I'm not comprehending anything. Listening is different than hearing, just like redecorating is different than renovating. You can hear and not comprehend. Listening requires attention. Listening requires clearing out distraction, cutting off the TV. Listening shows respect to the one who's speaking. Whenever we listen to our children, when we listen to our spouses, when we listen to our, our parents, guys, we show respect. And when we really listen, we get clued into all sorts of things that aren't apparent just uh, when we're just hearing. When we truly listen to our children's voices, we can hear their anxiety. Do you know what I'm talking about, parents? You can hear the anxiety in your children's voices. You, if you really listen, you can hear the things that are, they get excited about. You can hear the things that they want to do and the, thing, the places where they want to go. You can hear their pain and their heartache too. If you listen to their voices. If you listen instead of just hear what they're saying. We're going to skip through a little bit more. The why stands for yield to each other. One of the things that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12 um, is how you and I are called to lift one another up in love, that we are to yield to one another. 
that we are to allow others to experience God's love by stepping back, by taking a back seat. One of the things that we can do as parents to help empower our children is to stop thinking about us first and to begin thinking about them first. To take a step back from the driver's seat where our kids are always on our agenda and always on our time and make some of life about them, about their passions, about what they're interested in, about how what they want to learn and where they want to go. We've got to yield to one another in this family called church. We've got to allow others to go ahead of ourselves and not be so self-centered so that others can experience and share God's love and God's grace with one another. What if when you went home after lunch today and you took a nap and you came back to dinner, you just allowed your kids You began the conversation about what you learned at church today. But instead of jumping in and trying to tell your children what they learned, you allow them to direct the conversation. Allow them the space to speak instead of always managing and directing. My prayer for you today is that you and I would begin to develop holy families, strong families, families of faith, That we wouldn't just redecorate and move the artifacts we have in our house, the fixtures we have in our house around. But that we truly would begin renovating and making space for God and for godly influences in our lives and in our families. So I want to ask you this morning, uh, as we move toward a time of prayer, would you begin at the beginning by committing yourself to Christ? committing your hearts and your lives to Christ because that's where it all begins. You can forget the other six steps. None of it matters if we don't begin with Christ at the center. Let us pray. Lord, be the center of all that we have, of all that we are. Be the center of our hearts and the center of our lives so that as we seek to follow after you, Lord, that our children might see your presence and your light and your life inside of us. Lord, we pray tonight, Lord, we pray this morning that as we seek to renovate our homes, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would guide our footsteps, that you would create space where we might experience and share you with those around us. So we pray in the name of Christ, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen. The offering baskets are coming around. If you would, put your connection cards in there.